0: Welcome to Medium Rare. I'm your host, Carolyn Portner. Sizzle, sizzle, pop, pop, sizzle. Boom. Can you hear that? That's the sound of us igniting conversations about disabilities, invisible, visible, physical, or mental. And here on the Medium Rare Grill, we believe one thing is true. No matter how we're cooked up, we're all still meat. Let's get cooking, good-looking, Oh my, it's not one, it's not two, it's episode three of Medium Rare, and things are getting steamy. Now let's get real. There's pretty much nothing better than being whiplashed by the unexpected aroma of cooked meat, am I right? There you are, just minding your own business, and you're stopped in your tracks, and then you have the most primal reaction to the meaty aroma that brings every carnivore together. Ooh, yummy! And that's all I gotta say about this interview with Bill Wontuck today. Ooh, yummy. I met Bill in college at the good old Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Kaka caw, Go Golden Eagles. Bill is based in Chicago and living with cerebral palsy, a rare form called spastic triplesia. He works in an, an office administration and is a very talented artist and all-around fantastic human being. You're all going to want to be Bill's friend after this. I just, I don't contain yourself. He's going to be a hotter commodity than the damn COVID vaccine. I'm telling you, Bill is a huge reason I started this podcast Uh, about two or three years ago. Bill and I were on our annual college friends trolley crawl, by far the wildest day of the year in our group of friends. And I knew Bill, but I didn't really know him. Like, I got high with him once and watched Avatar, which, though a highlight, we didn't give way to, like, talking about our vulnerability around our disabilities. And I have never talked about Bill about his CP or my MHE, And there we were, two tipsy humans crying in a corner of a Chicago bar. And within 15 minutes, I felt like I had just really created a lifelong friend. And I thought, wow, could this deep connection happen to everyone if they shared their disability journeys with each other? And so, Medium Rare was born, ta-da. I really hope this episode enlightens all you medium Rares out there that disabilities don't have to dim your light, it can actually make you brighter. Here's my meat cute with my very bright, very shiny, dear friend Bill Wantuck. Um, well, first of all, Bill, thanks so much for being here. So, are you ready for getting you warmed up on the grill? Yeah. Okay. You and I have a fun connect in that we probably didn't we didn't talk a lot about our experiences with disabilities until this one random moment, right? Like
1: yeah that's how it always happens it's like you know it's always just a very like serendipitous encounter we're like oh hey let's bond on this experience
0: yeah um but i'm so happy that we can like pick up this conversation and um get get on the grill here and get more in depth about your experiences i really i want to share your your story with everyone and just you're someone to me who's always had such a positive outlook on um cp and honest to god i don't even know if i first met you i knew that you were experiencing any because you just you are yourself always and like your personality just shines i don't know if you could introduce yourself a little bit and talk about your experience with cerebral palsy and just kind of tell us a little bit about bill wanton
1: all right well i mean obviously my name is bill um and like, you know, I was diagnosed at birth. There was a brief period in time where they didn't know what was wrong with me as a child, and it could have been like multiple things, and my mom was like kind of having panic attacks. So when they told her it was CP, she was like, Oh thank God. And the nurses are like, You're happy about this? And they're like, Yeah, at least it's not like, you know, something progressive. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, I was i, I was raised to felt feel like uh nothing was different. I was just like everybody else. And my sisters, you know, were treating me like the younger annoying little brother that I've always been. So my experience with it when I was young was fairly positive. Um, And like my mom, like I had a whole different viewpoint of the handicap sign. Like, you know, some people are very sensitive by it and some people get triggered by it. But for me, my mom like made it seem like it was a cool special club to be part of. (laughs) Like, whenever we would go to, like, doctor's appointments or anything with a handicap button door, my mom's like, oh, there's your button. Go press your button. Oh, we're parking in your spot. These are for you. And I'm like, yes, this is mine. I'm like, so it was never, like, a negative experience. It was always just part of who I was. It didn't, like, get, like, kind of weird until I got older Um, because I went to a a private Catholic um, preschool through eighth grade um, and it was the same kids for what, tw- however long that was. So I never needed to re-explain anything and like, they all know who I was, mm-hmm. but in college or high school and college, it was kind of iffy mm-hmm. because like, oh, now I have to figure out how to tell people like what this is.
0: <laughs> right. And can you explain too, cause your, your CP is a rare form of CP as well. Okay.
1: Yeah so like there's like three different types of cerebral palsy but the most common is spastic cerebral palsy Mm -hmm. um and then it's the most common diagnosis for them is like it's like diplegia which is like two limbs so either your hands or your legs hemiplegia um or like diplegia is like right hand right Mm -hmm. leg hemiplegia is like both hands or both legs Mm -hmm. um and then quadriplegia is all four mine's technically Triplesia, which is never in the textbooks, never in the websites. <laughs> um, so technically, it's both of my legs and my left hands. They were all surprised to find out I was left handed.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, um, wow. You're left handed. And it's. And you're triplegic with your left hand. Okay.
1: Left hand. So, like, I've never noticed any spasticity in my hand, but apparently, like, my handwriting was awful until <laughs> I'd say about like, high school when I was like, okay, I'm going to start doing the bubbly girl letters now.
0: I guess if you, you know, Bill, I think you've had experiences where you, you do have to explain your CP to people, but I guess in a fun way, um, how would you say, um, explain CP to someone, a little drunk guy who's at a bar? How, what would you say? Like, cause you know, you get it at the awkward times. And I think you and I are that person who's, we're going to have a response.
1: Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, if it's like belligerent drunk or like, I, it's kind of the same answer I would give a child, um, <laughs> which is like, you know, my legs, m- the muscles in my legs don't like communicate properly and they don't grow at the same speed so just stand on your toes for me and they're like they'll do it because they're drunk they always do and i'm like okay that but all the time even when your heels are flat on the ground
0: and then they're like whoa honestly this is a really good like how drunk are you test
1: exactly you
0: have an (laughs) upper hand at bars i think i've said it like four times already like you just have a very bright (laughs) energy and amazing smile what what has, in your life, has led you to have such a, a bright light in in regard to CP and just in general?
1: I mean, I don't want to, like, get all Debbie Downey here, but I think it's because, you know, I've s- experienced and seen a lot of, like, children and people in hospitals, like, having a difficult time. And, like, I, thankfully, I had, like, a great support system growing up where hospitals were, like, a second home. And I made, you had to make it fun. You had to make the best out of a bad situation. So like you multiply that times like 20 something years Mm -hmm. um, and you just learn to see the good and the bad. And it's, it's like, I don't know, people will say like, oh, that sucks or that must hurt or that, or I can't imagine being in pain or it's like, I'm not, it doesn't suck. I'm not in pain. It doesn't Mm -hmm. hurt. This is just my life, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: Right. this is just me hello
1: this is how I do it you know
0: um I I'm curious to know like do you think that in some way you were trying to reframe the story even as a kid about CP
1: yeah I mean looking back on it I don't think it was purposeful but like it became more purposeful the older I got Mm -hmm. um like reframing it because to me it was something that was always cool i mean it's not until you get older when kids start like judging you and treating you different and then like the clips clicks form and gossip starts Mm -hmm. we're like you know i kind of had to remarket myself
0: (laughs) which is it's crazy because i think in general teenagers were always trying to like we're conforming we're molding ourselves so we're also like taking things from people we like and putting it to ourselves that also isn't genuinely who we want to be and everything and I've noticed oh, yeah. that a lot about like as I've gotten older I basically have to relearn how to get back to like OG CP like I've back yeah, to, like yeah. OG Carolyn you know and I it's, yeah you, you have to strip away and I wonder do you think that because we were children who were in and out of hospitals and to constantly telling a story of who we were to, you know, to people explaining it that we yeah. have more to weed through.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, because, I mean, I'm an adult in therapy as everyone should be. Therapy Hashtag is amazing. Therapy. But, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the thing we're working on now is like figuring out like, what is OG Bill, you know, because like, I've had to not live my life for other people, but like live my life. Based on other people's interpretation of what okay. I am, you know? And trying to change that and fight that constantly. That, like, I've conformed to this, I don't know, society's idea of disability mm-hmm. that, like, we're simultaneously paragons of society and we should be looked up to. We're inspirational, but also we're lesser. Right. You know? It makes, it's a weird, mm-hmm. like, mix.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think it's also the fact of, like, Being an in betweener, where if you're, some people can notice it, some people can't, and so then you know that that gray zone becomes uncomfortable, and in the you know transitioning, like how do you say? Because when we were younger, it was obviously very visible. You're in and out of surgeries, like you were literally in a full body cast.
1: Yeah, It casts, brace, braces, like walkers. Right, I had a
0: (laughs) the walker thing. Okay, (laughs) at eighteen, I had a walker. I. I mean, I wrapped hot pink tape around it because I was like, I gotta make it cute. But there is nothing cute about. Oh, I gotta sit down. I gotta, I gotta lift my legs and let them rest on that arch of the walker for twenty minutes because I can't move.
1: <laughs> yeah, hey, but at least you tried with the pink tape. That reminds me of my homecoming. I had a, my last surgery, the big one, was senior year, and I it was in a, a wheelchair. So I took glow sticks and wove them in the. The spokes for homecoming. Oh,
0: mm-hmm. um, I've done that too on a wheelchair. It's great,
1: mm-hmm. great times. You know, you got to spice yeah, it up. that
0: was like the only photo I have of myself from. I I was, you know, and that's something I kind of look back and I I almost sort of regret not. I mean, I don't know if you want to like take photos of a lot of the experiences of surgeries, but sometimes I I wish I had a photo or something just to look, be able to remember like what it actually like looked like from the outside. You know. <laughs> Oh yeah, and I—I um, don't I know what you mean. Yeah, I don't know because I—the only photo I have of myself in from my big surgery with my hips and like—is me in a wheelchair and a glow sticks wrapped around it. You can barely—you can't even see my face, but I'm sure you probably didn't want to see my face <laughs> because I was at a grad party and I was like, "I'm—it doesn't matter. I'm going to grad parties. I don't yeah. freaking care." And I rolled up in the wheelchairs and in the walker. It didn't matter. you know you and I have talked a lot too about being children who were in and out of hospitals and everything and can you explain what that experience was like and like how you coped or like who helped you through it or
1: uh yeah I mean like my earliest memories take place in a hospital Mm -hmm. um (laughs) and like I, I started out at uh children's hospital And, you know, my mom was a huge support system for me. And she was also like a very educated woman who did all her research and like talked to all the doctors and talked to all the nurses. So we were basically on first name basis with everyone at the hospital. Um, So, I mean, that helps not, you know, knowing who these people are, but like also like the things they did growing up. Like I remember I had to get um, a full body cast on Halloween. And, you know, I was kind of bummed out because, oh, I can't wear a costume. Like, now I can't go trick-or-treating. And the casting people, instead of, you know, the rules were you had to pick one color. And that is your color Mm -hmm. for your cast. Maybe two, maybe three if you were lucky. But the casting people were so nice. They used several different colors and lengths of cast to replicate a full Peter Pan costume. So all I had to do was wear a hat. Oh,
0: my God. Uh, That's so awesome. (laughs) You know, it does seem like your mom was, like, a huge important part of your CP experience. Can you talk about that a little bit more?
1: Yeah. um, So, I mean, you know, my mom, we we always had a special relationship because, I mean, I I had childhood asthma as well because I was three months premature. Um, But we were always in and out of the hospitals together. My dad was always working and my sisters were always in school. So it was always just me and mom. And we had, like, Mm -hmm. our own little, like, things and our own little, like, language and she was my biggest cheerleader and like she always tells me the story where you know when i was little and i was struggling to walk and i wanted a toy and like my aunt carolyn was like why don't you just give it to him and she was like if i give it to him then he's not going to be strong enough to move Mm -hmm. like (laughs) he's got to learn to work for this so like she also pushed me harder than anyone else Mm -hmm. um unless it was like kind of tough when my parents got divorced because um, my mom was she knew everything about me and she was my biggest advocate and she was there for all of it. And my dad kinda had to pick up the slack and mm-hmm. uh I uh, he didn't really it's not that he didn't know what was happening, it's just because he wasn't there for all of it all the time, every day. Yeah. <laughs> he would miss big things. So then I, I kinda had to grow up a little faster and be my own historian and be like, Oh no, that wasn't the right date for the surgery, Dad. Oh, and you forgot about my Uh, you know hamstring realignment or my hamstring lengthenings or you know Mm
0: -hmm. when I'd have
1: to go to new hospitals and meet new doctors and do all that jazz
0: it is interesting when you get like in that time it's like oh I but I know the history like no matter what like I have oh yeah like you're uh, like I could recite my whole entire medical history for you right here right now like
1: I mean we have to be it's another thing like
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know that disabled people have to do we have to be our own advocates
0: mm-hmm. and almost sometimes I don't know if this is with you I because for me with MHE there's not a bunch of people that even know what it is doctors like like just general general physicians they so when I'm explaining it to them a lot of the times when symptoms come up because there is still so many unknowns about what multiple hereditary exotosis is, and how other ways it affects your body than just bones that I'm always, I don't know. I think there's part of me that has a little bit of a doubt towards doctors sometimes. And I just, there's a level of distrust that I.
1: Oh like yeah, I no, totally. Even with something that's common, like CP, there's a mm-hmm. lot of doubt. Um, like, I think we might've talked about this, but I had um, a patella realignment when I was 18. That was the big surgery. Um, that's because the muscle tightness was pulling my kneecap out of alignment um, over the years. So I think last year, my, left knee, or no, my right knee started to hurt. And I'm like, oh, God, I know what this is. They told mm-hmm. me it was coming. Um, so first off, I have to find a doctor who will see me. Because most um, orthos will see children specifically. Because if you can work on them young enough, you, mm-hmm. then they'll have you know better quality of life as they get older Mm -hmm. nobody really wants to do upkeep for the older people
0: yeah (laughs) Um, Uh uh-huh
1: yeah so i finally found one and i go in and he's like oh it's a torn meniscus i can tell i can already tell and i'm like are you sure because like i am not athletic (laughs) i have a desk job and i like video games and board games um so I'm not doing any
0: high kicks my friend what are you what are you talking about a torn meniscus
1: meniscus. I'm like I'm pretty sure it's my patella out of alignment and uh he's like no I I know what I'm talking about we'll just do an MRI next week just to be safe but I'm pretty sure we're just gonna have to schedule a surgery and get it all done I'm like okay so I get my MRI done I go back to the doctor and he was like huh turns out you were right it is a uh, patella realignment, but like I don't want to operate because you know you're old enough. I don't want to screw up your gait, so we're just going to give you cortisone shots for the rest of your life. And I'm like, oh, pa- thanks.
0: Oh my god. But what? How do you feel sometimes when you get an answer from a doctor that? I mean, and this may just be me too. Like sometimes when I hear answers like that, where it's like, oh, this is going to be like a, a lifelong product of my disability yeah i like when i'm told like you know i have a tumor that's on my leg that flares up like every so often here and there and it's it's really painful and it's like oh i just want to get it removed but it's in a spot that like if i remove it, it it's pretty risky that i can lose mobility in my right side because it's like right by a nerve and yeah. it's literally like wrapped around a nerve and um when i'm told oh you're just going to do pain maintenance it's something that like it's it's uncomfortable because it's like oh this isn't something that has an answer i don't like that
1: yeah i mean i never i never like it it's not right it's not great to hear i mean Mm -hmm. but also like looking back as a kid there were a lot of risky surgeries and mm-hmm. things that I took part of that my parents didn't tell me because they had to make the decision for me. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of better not knowing. Like with mm-hmm. the hamstring lengthenings, the theory behind it is that my muscles are so tight that if we just do a little nix and stretch the muscle out, it'll loosen it up. And I mean, it works, but they never told me that there's a possibility that if they don't cut enough, nothing will happen. If they right. cut too much, you'll lose mobility.
0: Do you think, and this is, I don't know if you can relate to this or not, but when your parents are making decisions for you as my parents did as well, it was very much like this is going to be the best for you, you know. I didn't have a lot of answers growing up. Do you think there's something in adulthood that we struggle with more because we we didn't have the control over this big aspect of our life with our bodies and other people I mean- were making decisions for us?
1: It might be like a little bit less so for me, but that's just because my mom was amazing with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, she made sure I understood what was going on. Mm -hmm. I didn't need to know the risks, but I knew what was happening. Um, And like, we even had our own dialogue for it. Like I had a nickname for my my CP. I didn't call it cerebral palsy. I called it Croakers as a child.
0: Like the grocery store?
1: Like, probably, I don't know. I was a kid, I made up a word. But, like, because I didn't understand the science. I was mm-hmm. a child. I could only under- understand what I was feeling. And to me, the tightness in, the, in my muscles felt like there were long, pointy, barbed sticks in my legs. Mm-hmm. So I called them croakers. And every time I went for a surgery, they were going to cut me open and take the croakers out. And I'm like, cool, <laughs> done. Like, and like, I pictured my legs like hollow with the muscles and all these little sticks on the muscles. So like, they have to peel the barbs off the muscles. Um yeah,
0: they're just they're just taking some home. That's all. Yeah. They so just wanted like, some
1: of it. I made a word for the pain. So when my mom told me what the surgery was, she's like, "They're gonna go open in in your leg and they're gonna take the croakers out as much as they can and then put you back together." So I understood what was going on. I just didn't understand what was going on
0: i love that that you had a specific language for your cp like you had lingo your own secret codes like that's something i feel like could be really useful for kids and parents who are trying to figure out a way to explain this to like a nine or ten year old who's like what what's this you know yeah something that we've we've kind of touched on here so far is that there are different shades of disabilities right like yeah and do you feel like people who come across you come across in life understand the nuances of your form of cp or of absolutely not
1: (laughs) um yeah absolutely not i i I think they don't get it at all and it's always on my responsibility to like educate people and that becomes tiresome sometimes Mm -hmm. um Like, you know, the moment people hear the D word disability, you can see in their face that they're trying not to treat you differently now. But there's like this look where it's like, oh, I didn't know. Like, I didn't know. And Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, great. Now I have to, like, try to be extra normal.
0: (laughs) Right. It's it's interesting. I had a recent situation where I was explaining. They're like, oh, but what disability do you have? I Nothing is like. Complete, I can't like see it. I can't see it. That's, yeah,
1: that's that's the thing.
0: And but just because it, it's a it's the ignorance that I think I hope this podcast can open people's eyes to. Like there has to be a different language to the oh I don't see it thing.
1: Like yeah, because like it's the same as like you know not seeing color. Then that just erases it. You know it's
0: <laughs> yeah, and words really like they dictate a lot in an instant physical reaction someone who is dealing with this specific thing like when i hear that my body i instantly have this like like sinking in my stomach Of like okay here we go pull out the explanation you know i don't know pump up
1: that smile got it all right
0: and i i i'm so happy that i'm in a place in my life where i do have a little bit more ownership over it where it's not like me spilling out a sad story now it does feel like i'm oh i'm spilling out a hopefully empowering one where i'm trying to like understand my my disability now in adulthood and to try and like elevate people so that they don't hide their story the way that i did for so long Um, yeah
1: and i mean like there's this weird disconnect or juxtaposition of like when people find out we're disabled they're doing what they can to try and make us feel comfortable about it but in actuality, they're making us uncomfortable. So then it's our job to make them feel comfortable with our disability. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's it shouldn't be like that. It should be like, oh, I have blue eyes. Okay, move on. Like, or tell me more about your blue eyes. Do you like them? Like,
0: yeah, yeah. What cool not, things can your blue eyes do? What cool things right? can your bones do? What cool things can your um, Krogers do? You know, yeah.
1: It, it's, it's it's like you know, mm-hmm. but like it's always one person trying to make the other person comfortable. And I think that's going back to your original question, like how do you develop this sunny disposition? Because mm-hmm. if I didn't, p- people wouldn't approach me. People wouldn't mm-hmm. want to be social with me. So I kind of have to be like, oh, it's not bad. It's all great. It's sunshine, rainbows, and gumdrops.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's 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 funny because I think I've gone through phases <clears throat> where I would just like, say I've had a case of, I love Audrey Hepburn so I'm going to say it but the mean reds where it's like I'm just mad that day about it like I'm just not in a good mood when I was younger I would I had a phase where I was so emo about it I would like any person that would ask me about it like, Mm -hmm. or I would wear like all black or I would hide it right I was very like angry when someone would ask but now I don't I've gotten past that phase it's almost like Stages of grieving. Oh, I know,
1: but that's, that's exactly what it is. Because, like, I mean, I would do this in private. But I I have had, you know, several waves of emotion when it comes to my disability. You know, oh, I yeah. started out fresh owning it this is what it is and then the older you get the harder it gets so i've had bouts of depression like Mm -hmm. i would just cry because like i don't want to be different yeah i don't want people to see me like this i i don't want to live in a world where we're an afterthought or we're you know i want to live in a world where we can all just exist and be ourselves Mm -hmm. and then like when you start dating that that like super depression because it's like Ugh, I feel like I'm damaged goods. I feel like I can't just jump into a relationship and see where it goes because these people are thinking like, oh, if I'm with a disabled person, I might have to be with them for the long haul. You know? Where it's like...
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I 100% relate to that one where it's like, <clears throat> it, it. I didn't used to say or explain my MHE or my tumors or my scars on dates. And then I would get into a point where I'm, more physically intimate with someone and it would be like, Oh, what are these scars from? And I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't, I couldn't even yeah. say yeah. it. I would be like, Oh, it's, it's nothing. It's just a thing when I was a kid and the, that brushing off of it, it it's not an ownership of who I am. And my, my partner wouldn't really be with the true me, you know? Yeah. And then, but I do think it's hard with dating where the stigma is that oh, you're. What's the long like? You know, how, how, will your kids inherit this? Like all these different aspects of it. That yeah, what if we're you like just loved people like completely like unconditionally and yeah, at the heart, not the
1: not what's gonna what's coming down the line or what are mm-hmm. you dealing with currently? Because like I would do the same thing. I would hide it.
0: Mm-hmm. I would hide
1: it for the first date, and then I would I would broach it when I would meet them in person because I needed to know what their reaction was. And mm-hmm. I hid it because I didn't wanna come off as damaged goods. I didn't wanna come off as like, oh, I'm not gonna swipe right on this guy. He's disabled, you know? Right, but, it's painful. like ov- over time, I, I became more comfortable with it. And like, mm-hmm. you know, why waste my time and energy with somebody who may not accept me, not because they don't like my personality or the way I dress or my family, but because they're not mentally or emotionally prepared to deal with someone with a disability, like let's cross those people off first. And that's when I like, right. I I took the plunge and I like wrote in my Tinder bio before I met Steve that like, Hey, and I have CP. So if your ideals date is going on hikes, it's not for me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, but if you want to know more, swipe right.
0: Oh, my God. Also, I don't want to go to Starved Rock with you, okay? Right. right. I don't care.
1: Who wants to go there? (laughs) Um, But, like, intimacy is a big thing, too, because, like, my Mm -hmm. body reacts to things differently than other people. And sometimes it's cute and adorable, and sometimes it's Mm nerve-wracking. Like, I remember one of my first, like, intimate moments in high school. Uh, We were getting into it, Mm -hmm. and then, like, my legs started twitching like a dog's when they're happy and excited. You know, and it was like, (laughs) and I couldn't stop it. I couldn't control the the spasticity, and I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. He's like, No, just you're really into it. I'm like, Yeah, that's what it is. That's what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) I just had to roll with it, but my legs like vibrating in the corner, and I'm just like, Oh god. Um, And he's like, No, it's cool. It's totally cool.
0: (laughs) Oh my god. Like, but that's like, but don't you think that's like this? And I know in some way it's that is a very vulnerable difference that you experience. But I also am like, that is just so charming. And like if I was <laughs> a guy who's like, playing like, is like twitching while I'm like having sex. Yeah. Like, you know, it's it, it.
1: thankfully the person who was part of the experience thought of it that way as well. Right. But like, you know, you never know how people are going to react. And there's like, mm-hmm. you know, gay sex is difficult because we have to get to the back door and sometimes we end up in weird positions Mm -hmm. and sometimes my legs don't like that Mm -hmm. so they let me know by shaking like crazy
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i mean but then you you never know especially in modern dating you might run into an asshole who and so there's that like fear in the wall that you could put up in pursuing people because you're like what if I, what if? It's always the what if, what if I run into the ignorance, right? Like, that's the thing. But I,
1: I also think, like, this is part of my optimism kicking in, too. But, like, it's yeah. a catch-22, where my legs are in insecurity during intimacy, but, like, mm-hmm. my upper body is not. And that's because of the uh, CP. Like, my muscles are spastic, so they're basically supercharged all the time. Mm-hmm. So I have a nice six-pack, I got a nice V-line, and I don't go to the gym. Like... <laughs>
0: I was going to ask so, about your abs. I was like, you have the, abs.
1: They're still here. There's, they're, they're, you know, I'm almost 30. So they're not as amazing, but <laughs> they're still great. I'm like, my biceps are killing it. But, um, you know, that was like a weird catch 22. We're like mm-hmm. on grinder. everyone's a topless torso. So my topless torso looks great. But I was like, hmm, are they going to think that I skipped leg day? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a, it's a trade-off.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah party up top party mm-hmm. in the bottom but like full rager downtown sometimes when it comes yeah to
1: you like- never know and i yeah. mean you know sometimes sometimes there could be some many earthquakes happening we'll just, yeah. just gotta roll with it hey maybe um, it's good for them i don't know i've never asked the other person like is it like a vibrator
0: that, uh, that's what i was <laughs> like bill i don't I mean, I'm not like picturing what this is like, but, like I'm picturing it. and I'm like, it had to kind of add to the sexual. I mean, experience. it's got to
1: be more sensation, you know.
0: Totally, Bill is like the hot commodity. Like he's yeah. off the market, though. Unfortunately, I
1: know, right? Lucky Steve.
0: Lucky, Steve is very lucky. Steve is very yeah, lucky.
1: He's the best.
0: Well, I know we are. We were on such a fun run there, but I, I am want to keep our questions going, and I'm curious in to learn more about the CP community. And mm-hmm. do you think that as someone with more of a rare form of it with the triplegia, that um, you're perceived differently within the community or can you explain a little bit more? I mean, about
1: absolutely. I, I think I'm perceived differently because honestly i don't know many other people with cp
0: mm-hmm.
1: um i know that there was um there's one other person in the neighborhood um and i had no idea they existed until they happened to be at a bonfire i was at and then they were making fun of him for his cp and then they were making fun of me for my cp but not like in a bad way like in a south side friends way like oh the gimps are walking in together and i was like wait you you have it too And he's like wait what and we're like oh my god what are the chances <laughs> but like you know and he's very high functioning like me The only difference I would say is that, um, you know, he's got a little bit more in the hand. Mm -hmm. Um, otherwise we're pretty similar. So it like, I think we've talked about this before, but it's a weird in-between stage Mm -hmm. where I'm normal enough to, you know, be inspiring to other people in the community, but I'm like disabled enough to like be inspiring to, you know, normal people. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, Society put, mate, forces us to be inspiring. We have to adopt that like, oh, we look up to you or you're so strong. And we have to like internalize that.
0: Yeah. Or a lot of people in our world don't like to weed through uncomfortable middle ground things about. No. And
1: we're like, you know, people like you and I are probably more approachable than um, somebody who has a more severe case of our conditions. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's unfair, too. Because, you know, we have normal people privilege, I guess, but.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's the, we can, we can exist in, I was talking to someone recently about this. We can exist in both worlds and that is a privilege within the disability community. So in general, there are, I don't know, I can ask you about this too. I'm curious, do you think it's wrong to say that we there is a disability spectrum in some sense like I mean
1: absolutely absolutely not yeah i mean because like i remember we took childhood exceptionality at marquette and they you know it covered everything from like genius mensa children to mm-hmm. severely disabled children mm-hmm. um and you know the first thing they taught us is like you don't say disabled child you say child with a disability mm-hmm. and like that was weird but also i got it it was weird for me because growing up as disabled i was i'm a disabled person Mm -hmm. you know i'm a you know but i got it because you want to put the person first right but but i mean the thing that kind of left me feeling uncomfortable is because like yes that is important that is a good thing to do we should all continue to doing it Mm -hmm. but who came up with the dialogue here was it a disabled person did we ask a disabled person about even saying the disabled person? Maybe we should change the word disabled to like, mm. this is my word for it. It's kind of cheesy, but like disabled with an F. Like mm-hmm. I'm not disabled. Like I it's not that I can't do things. I just do things in a different manner in which you do them.
0: I love that. Diffabled. That's yeah. I love well, and I'm learning a lot about how everyone has a different definition of their disability and how the language around it in People in your circles, they need to learn what you prefer, you know, but it might not be an instant thing for people outside of it. Um, and I'm curious because I feel like the more that I meet people with disabilities, whether it's it's hard for mine because it's rare or other people with varying forms, I feel more connected to people. And do you think there should yeah. do you, I feel like there should be more re- interaction between with disabilities are from absolutely and i don't know if it's a prevalent thing like because i know you're saying you don't meet a lot of people with cp and is there something that we should all be reaching out and creating more community around it
1: i mean i think it's easier now with like social media and online communities Mm -hmm. but like i've also had a weird relationship with cp where i never felt the need to find someone else with it because it's only a part of who i am it's not Right It's not my defining feature,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I felt like you know there's always been a part of me that's want wanted to find other people like me, you know that's all that's never gonna go away, but at this point in my life, I don't feel like it's a necessity because if I encounter them by chance, mm-hmm. I feel like that would have more of an impact than like actively searching I don't know like our experience totally by chance, you know we've never talked to each other about our disabilities. Mm-hmm. And it was super impactful.
0: Right. And it's it's to say we led with the person before the disability. And yeah. that's like the main thing. And, and it's because to me, it's like I'm on this journey because I've never even explored it in like my 28 years of life, like meeting people with different disabilities. And it feels like as someone who's in, it, in the community and just recognizing it, it's important for me to at least educate myself about other people but i don't think that it's like i only want to meet people with disabilities yeah i mean like like... no i think it's just like who who can we like slowly introduce to our our life that is relatable but also we're just trying to spread the message wider
1: yeah and i mean that's that's all that it is yeah it's like that's all i've ever wanted to do and like Mm -hmm. honestly you know i've also never felt the need to find the other people with cp because like you and myself, mm-hmm. me with someone else with CP, we have a similar foundation and we have a similar experience. And if that person like needs someone else to talk about these experiences, that's great. Mm-hmm. But the people I'm focused on are the normal people because these are the people that we need to change in order for my fellow CP compatriots to feel comfortable being themselves.
0: Right. And that actually like totally brings me to my next question, which is with... CP and representation in media and everything. I think that that is such an important way that we can, and in television and just having more voices, more shows about people with disability experiences and like written by people who have. Yeah. Yeah. That's an important part. (laughs) Yeah. It is a really important part, but is there shows that you feel like you've seen yourself in? And if not, like what do you hope, do you think it's important to see yourself in our media landscape in our world i mean
1: absolutely like Mm -hmm. i mean as a gay man growing up and not having anything outside these stereotypical 90s representation of what gay was um i remember watching degrassi and seeing marco and being like oh my god i identify with this Mm -hmm. and i've never once seen someone in television media with cerebral palsy that's like absolutely 100 i identify with this like the Mm -hmm. closest we got in recent time but before netflix was um Breaking Bad, you know, his son had CP, I believe, but it was more severe um, and they portrayed cognitive, some minor cognitive delays. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's totally a thing that happens with people with CP, but I didn't identify with it. You know, someone else in the spectrum might, and I think that's a great first step. Mm -hmm. But like the first time I've ever seen anything that was like me, I bawled. Um, I was watching a special on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know at first I was like bracing myself because it's like I didn't know what to expect I didn't know what kind of atmosphere the show was going to take around disability and then just watching the opening I was bawling I was like but it wasn't like sad it was because they zoom in on like he's wearing shorts and he's walking down the street and you can see the scars Mm -hmm. and I have those scars Mm -hmm. like and the show is about a gay man with a dis, uh, disability and like how he's li- lied to his coworkers saying he caught hit by a car and that's what it. Like, I've done that. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just didn't want, have the like emotional capacity to explain my disability to somebody. So it's like, yeah, just, you know, I was hit by a car or like whatever, it's, it's a torn ACL. Like, right. like, I didn't think I was gonna see these people more than once. And then I'd have to make that awkward explanation, be like, yeah, it wasn't a car. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> Right. And I mean, I think that intro alone on special. Oh, I mean, I was like, this is a quote, special show. Yeah. I saw he, he was in physical therapy and it's that moment where he sees someone who's has a more serious degree of CP. And he's like, sometimes I wish I was that guy. And I talk about that all the time because it's like to me, it's such a poignant example of like how someone who is in a rarer in betweener situation with their yep. disability feels, which is like it is not that I would ever want to wish like worse things upon myself or difficult things, but it's like the clarity of yeah, like the world and what yeah, they it, it's it.
1: it's not for me, it's for other people. Yeah, it's if they see me like that, they I don't have to deal with this shock, surprise, this over-cautiousness, mm-hmm. like. They'll just deal with me how they want to deal with me. Oh, I don't
0: see it. That thing.
1: And, like, Mm -hmm. yeah. It's like one of my friends in college got hit by a drunk driver. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I basically became her life coach for a while
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, because she had to get used to, like, her. I remember one of her biggest problems was in in the wheelchair. People, you're looking at people's waists. They have to look down at you. They have to kneel down when they want to be on your level. And she's like, people look at me differently. How do you deal with that all the time? Mm -hmm. And then, like, I, in college, I, as an icebreaker, I'd be like, hi, I'm Bill, you know, I'm, you know, the the crippled gay dude, like right off the bat, because Mm -hmm. if I address it now and make a joke about it and take your power away from it, it's, Mm -hmm. it's mine. So in my presence, my friends could make disabled jokes because I knew it wasn't coming from a malicious place. It was coming from, if we can joke about how the way Sierra eats popcorn, we can joke about how you go upstairs, you know? Right it's, it's there. It's me they We're, we're joking with each other. It's not, we're mm-hmm. making fun of the disabled community as a whole, but when they would do it in this person's presence, after they were in the wheelchair, they would get real offended. And like, why do you let people talk to you like that? And it's like, it's not coming from a place of disrespect. Mm-hmm. It's coming from a place of being relatable. Yeah. If you can make fun of me as a person and I can make fun of you as a person because we're friends and that's what we do. Mm-hmm you're not treating me differently you're treating me like everyone else you're seeing it as someone focusing on my disability because you're not disabled and like as good as that was to teach this person about what it means to be disabled her disability is temporary right you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: where i mean she's dealing with lifelong injuries because of the accident but like she's not in a wheelchair anymore right she's not you know
0: well it's to me everything about the your your family member who has ms and the specific girl it's like it almost makes me realize wow you have a great amount of ownership over yourself and your experience and they're still working on it like that to me it's just it's their insecurity that they're they're analyzing your experience projecting their stuff at you and like when really they just have some more work to do to me
1: yeah that's a way to
0: empathize with the situation really
1: Absolutely. And I think that's what, you know, people who have been disabled from birth, we have an advantage because we had to do that. That was the first thing we had to do mm-hmm. was realize this is us. This is part of us. And it's never going to go away. Yeah. Where people who are thrust into that situation, all they want is for it to go away.
0: Yeah. When it's like, welcome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's
1: like, hey, welcome to the party. We'll get you your handicap placard. Um.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd love to um, give you some um expertise on scars um here's a here's a pack of mederma um yeah so i i just i love this conversation bill but just to kind of wrap it up and this i thank you so much for being here like it was such an easy flowing conversation just we we get it (laughs) um you know and this podcast i think is about what you and i have or what we've developed which is like finding commonalities between us no matter how we were, you know, cooked up or how we talked about today, like how mm-hmm. life grills us in a sense, you know? Yeah. Um. And what do you think brings people together beyond our differences?
1: Um, honestly, it sounds kind of cheesy, but like interests and hobbies. <laughs> like, yeah, literally, that's mm-hmm. that's like it. I mean, because how did we meet? We had the same, you know same group of friends and same interests we went to the same places Mm -hmm. and that's how we connected Mm -hmm. and like how do i connect with people now like my love of writing and sketching and dungeons and dragons my huge nerd collection behind me (laughs) like that's what's important like what makes you you not i mean and your disability is part of that but like that's never my end-all be-all like oh i'm being like that's my being like no Art, comic books, video games, mm-hmm. ancient literature, like, <laughs> yes. um, interests. Um, I think that's what's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Like, what is your passion? What drives you? And if disability is your passion and that's what drives you, mm-hmm. tell me about it. What are you doing? What's going on? Like, you're making this podcast.
0: Right. Or to me, i it's interesting. What I think drives me and what's driving me to do this is that I found that my whole life I don't think I was really cognitively thinking about what's going on like I never did and because I was always using humor creativity like mm-hmm. I was creating stories in my head about other places I'd want to be or in these moments and like for me I think I want to share my stories of what I've experienced through a creative lens like this or through comedy because that is my interest and I want to show that you can share your story and mostly for me I think this is also I'm a big empathetic person I love to and I as I empathize more with myself I want to like share what I've learned about my experience that others can seek that within themselves because it's just completely transformed my life like not living in like negativity around my disability and my experience as a child or any of it and like owning it is like by far like one of the greatest things i've done in my life and like
1: yeah why
0: can't i want everyone to feel that way because what if it could spread to other great joys like
1: yeah but you're using your passion right to grow yourself and that's the most important part mm-hmm. so like i think the way people connect is what's your passion how are you using it yeah. what are your talents and mm-hmm. skills what can you do
0: right and
1: you don't even have to do it well as long as you're doing it
0: that is something i'm learning a lot more lately bill because that is a huge thing we don't have to be perfect when we're doing these things like these podcast interviews not going to be perfect they're just not like no, i'm not going to be perfect but they're being made like what if you had the same feeling about an imperfect thing as a perfect thing like what is perfect?
1: yeah <laughs> i mean i know i know exactly what you mean i mean because i'm I don't call, I don't feel comfortable calling myself an artist, Mm -hmm. um, because, but I, I do, I sketch all the time. I draw things all the time and I didn't start sharing things on social media until like later in life. But anyway, I know what you mean where like, I have this image in my head and my hands won't put it on paper the way my brain wants it to look. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I don't think it's good enough for the world because it's not perfect. But then when I show people they're like, oh, that's really, really good. I'm like, no, you don't, you don't see that flaw over there. I'm like, no, they don't see the imperfections, no. because they're not. It's just us. And like,
0: yeah. total sidetrack. It's that an I artist to t- thing too, and I think that's also probably everything that we have in our head. Like, I, I'm the same way where it is insane. I, I'm trying to write a pilot or whatever I'm doing at the time, and I, I can't get it out on paper. I can't. I'm all this imposter syndrome, and then I spell it out mm. and I talk it out, and they're like, oh, it sounds good. Why don't you just put that down on paper? And I'm like, yeah. it's getting what all this is about is getting past ourselves, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, Bill, thank you so, 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 so much for being here. And You're I'm so very happy welcome. That we could, um, I could share your story with everyone, and um, thank you so much, Bill. Um, and good night. <laughs>
1: See ya.